You're listening to episode 13. Hey there, Business Generals family. Welcome to another super episode of the Business Generals podcast where I feature amazing guests and I ask in-depth questions about their entrepreneurial journey. You know, my belief is that it doesn't matter how your journey in life started. It's not that important because great or small, the important thing is how you finish. So whatever your situation today, I want you to know that you can get your hopes up, that you are good enough to chase your dreams. In today's show, family, I dig into how it all started for our feature guests, how they have built their brand, and I even get into all the juicy details about their big challenges, their growth moments, and all their big breakthroughs. So it's going to be an amazing show. I actually selfishly started this podcast because I love to hear how entrepreneurs did it, and I wanted to ask the questions for myself. So really... I am the number one student, so get ready for amazing coaching tips, family, to help you maximize your business dreams. Welcome and thank you for joining me here on the Business Journals Podcast, where I chat with amazing entrepreneurs five days a week. Davis Montavo here, your host. Super excited to bring you today's feature guest, Ms. Shana Oliveira. Shana, are you ready to share your entrepreneurial story? I am. Glad to be here. Fantastic. Shana is the founder of EspressoEnglish.net, which is where you jump onto if you want to improve your English, but you're too busy, not you don't have too much time to study, and she's been doing this since 2012 and has millions of visitors um, since that time and over 70,000 subscribers, so she's done super well. I am super pumped to dig into Shana's story, so help me welcome Shana to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Now, Shana, before we talk business, perhaps just take 30 seconds to tell us um, who is Shana outside of business. Well, I was born and raised in the U.S., uh, but I really love Brazil, and I've spent a number of years there uh, studying the language and doing capoeira, which is a Afro-Brazilian martial art and dance. And uh, so, yeah, I my husband is Brazilian, and uh, we split our time between the two countries. Fantastic. Well, that's awesome. And how long have you been in Brazil? I spent about seven years there, and we just recently moved back to the States for me, and it's my husband's first time in the U.S. Wow. And is he okay with English, or is he fully Spanish now he's learning English? How does that work? Uh, he knows some English, but he is struggling with it, and so I kind of see firsthand how tough it is to, to learn a second language and really apply it in day-to-day life, but also how important that is to someone's experience in, in a country or in work. Mm. I take it you speak Spanish? Uh, Portuguese, actually. Portuguese. There's my ignorance showing right out. I think is it Spanish or Portuguese. So you speak Portuguese. And where did you learn Portuguese? I studied abroad in Brazil when I was in university. And so I got a really intense immersion experience both in the classroom and outside the classroom. And by the end of that semester, I was fairly proficient, you know, enough to get by in daily life. And then after that, just all the years living there, I was able to become more fluent. That's fantastic. Now, how long have you been in business full time for yourself, Well, I started the business about five years ago. Uh, I've only been full-time for the past two years because for the first three, I was holding on to a a side source of income just because I wasn't quite sure the business was ready to support us full-time. But I've been full-time for the last two in business for the last five. That is awesome, and that's um, um, congratulations. So the first thing I want to ask you is what are the core revenue pillars in your business today? 
Okay, well, I have a website, EspressoEnglish.net, as you mentioned, and I sell online courses and ebooks uh, teaching English as a second language, and I have about 14 different products on the site. So each of those is a revenue stream, um, but I do most of my sales through my own site, and so I've got just a number of different products all bringing in revenue every month. And so when you started off um, EspressoEnglish.net um, and you were still holding on to your other sort of job or, or project that you were working on, what were your initial products that you launched with? Well, I initially tried to launch with a pronunciation course, and that was a huge failure. Uh, maybe we can talk about that a little later when we talk about biggest business mm. failures. But the first product that I consider to be really successful uh, in the sense that it showed me that this was a viable business idea was the course about travel English. So how to get through the airport, how to check into a hotel, how to order at a restaurant, these really practical things that people want to know if they're going to be visiting an English-speaking country. Mm -hmm. So that was the first sort of product that actually took off. Yeah, by takeoff, I mean I got about uh, 18 sales, but that was enough to encourage me to keep going. Mm -hmm. And so, so you built. Let, uh, okay, let's step back a bit. So, you, how did your journey as an entrepreneur start, and what did you begin with? Did you just go launch a website, and what was your mindset before starting that? Right. Well, at the time, uh, my relationship with uh, my husband was getting serious, and I was going to be staying in Brazil uh, to be with him. And so I said, okay, what can I do in Brazil to make money? Well, I can teach English. And so I started teaching at schools and giving private lessons. But the problem with that is that, number one, the pay was really low, and number two, the schedule was just crazy because I would have some early morning classes, I would go to a company and give classes at noon, and then a lot of private lessons at night, and it was really wearing me down, and unfortunately, uh, I loved the teaching part, but it was not going anywhere as a career. And what gave me the idea for Espresso English was that two of my students who were really busy and often missed class, they said, Shana, we want to learn English, but we can't always get to class. Can you please just email me your lessons? And I said, sure. Uh, and in addition to emailing you, I might as well put them up on a blog or on a website. And so that was the very beginning. Right. So it was almost accidental. So you didn't actually purposely. But you, did you have a website before that? I had other websites just as hobby projects, so I was familiar with how to create a website, uh, but this was the first one which I really pursued uh, more intensely as something that could eventually turn into uh, a business. Right. And so you were working um, as a teacher. Were you full-time but or consulting or a little bit of both, right? I was working as a teacher. Uh, those are not full-time hours because it depends on how many students are able to get. And I also had another income stream doing some digital communications and website work for a client in the States. So that was also a couple hours a week. So I had kind of cobbled together uh, some income streams. And it didn't leave me a ton of time to work on my business, but I managed to find just pieces of time here and there, half hour here, 15 minutes there to write up my blog posts and post them on Espresso English. Mm -hmm. And how did you acquire your very first customer, if you can recall? 
Well, for about three to six months, I was acquiring leads via content marketing. So I was blogging and blogging and blogging, and it took forever, but eventually I started to get traffic. Um, and I had been building my email list the entire time since day one. And so when I launched this travel English course, I had, uh, I think, nearly 2,000 people on my list, and I launched it to the list. And I said, hey, who wants to learn travel English? I'm going to start the course next month. Here's the page to sign up. And that was really how the first paying customers came in. Okay, that's very interesting. And I'm interested to hear a little bit more about how did you set up your site that it acquired you 2,000 leads in six months? What were you? Was this organic traffic and where were you getting that from or was it paid traffic? This was organic traffic. A few things to keep in mind is that this niche is huge. There are so many people looking for English learning materials online because there are several million people in the world who are actively learning English. And so that helps with drawing traffic. If I could go back and do it over again, I wish I had done a little bit more um outreach, so guest posting on other large blogs or getting in front of audiences uh, that I knew would benefit from my lessons because all I did was blog on my own platform and that did work eventually to bring in uh, uh, these leads and subscribers, but it just took a really long time. And somebody sitting there listening is thinking, Shane, that 2,000 leads in six months, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, but, you know, of, of course, others can do it quicker, um, you know, depending on how their approach is. But, but that's, that's very interesting. So you, you've, you've generated the leads and then um, you reach out to these people and say, I'm creating a product. Had you made up your mind about the product already or was that something that your, you know, your coaching clients were telling you they wanted to, to have you create? It was just kind of based on my general sense, having worked with a number of people offline, right, in my offline classes, uh, and what they were struggling with. I had some very advanced students who, their English was great, but they said they struggled sometimes with, like, going through immigration in the airport. They didn't know exactly what to say um, or some of the vocabulary that should be used. And so they said, Shana, can you just walk me through the airport like a native speaker would, would go and have these conversations? And that was what kind of sparked the initial idea for the Travel English course. That's cool. That's really cool. Um, very interesting story. And what was your growth and marketing strategy at the very beginning? Now, so you've, you've started this you know, travel course. How did you grow it? Well, after the first course, what I essentially did for that course was I, asked, I pre-sold it. So I asked people to sign up and pay, and I said the course will start on August 1st, and you'll get one lesson a day for 30 days, and it worked. 18 people signed up, and uh, I then created and delivered the course, and I realized I can keep doing this. So after that was finished, I gave people a choice. I said, what do you guys want to learn about next? I just surveyed my list, and I gave them three options. I think it was business English, um, phrasal verbs, or idioms, and the overwhelming consensus was we want to learn business English, and so I just did the exact same thing. I pre-sold the next course, which was on business English, and I've just kept repeating that over the past few years. That's amazing. I was I was listening to um, 
somebody talking about creating online courses and um, this is what they did. You know, they've gone out to their audience um, and said, hey, you've told us that you want this, um, but we're going to let your wallets do the talking first. Um, you know, then they did a pre-sales, they had a pre-sales target of, I think, $7,000 before they actually created the course, and then they are 45 days to go and create the course. But this is amazing. There's a lot of people, Shana, who are doing this kind of, um, you know, one lesson a day, whether it's in food or diet or, you know, shakes. Um, where did that idea come from for you? Well, I'm not sure. I think I just realized that when people signed up at the offline English school, they would pay in advance for an entire semester. And uh, I chose a daily lesson because I thought it made sense and I thought it would provide a lot of value and it would just be a really short, intense sprint. Uh, I've since learned that a lot of students can't keep up with the daily lesson, and so I might need to rethink that, uh, but I do grant my students the ability to access those lessons permanently. So if someone fell behind during the course, they can come back anytime and review or catch up. Mm-hmm. And how, t- how long are the courses typically? Yeah, I make my daily lessons fairly short. I try to aim for between 10 and 15 minutes because I want people to feel like it's achievable and they can just sit down and do this lesson and it's not going to take an hour or two of their time. And what what comes in the course? There's an audio, a video, or PDF? My very first course was only PDF and audio. And it sold. People enjoyed it. Later, I started adding video and I just did voiced over slideshows. So it was a really simple way to create videos. Mm-hmm. And what about now? If you're creating a brand new course, um, how does that look today? Well, actually, pretty much the same, honestly. But I'm in the process of going back and revising some of my videos and maybe mixing it up between videos of me on camera and the uh, slideshow format. So I want to make it a little bit more engaging and, and interactive by using those two different types of video strategy. So if somebody was starting out in this kind of approach, um, what would you be recommending is the best strategy to to use just at the beginning just audio and pdf or mix it with the slideshow as well um i think it depends so uh if your course would really benefit from visual things you know screencasts or seeing things in a video then it would be more important to use video but if you think that's going to be too much of an obstacle for you to create and it's holding you back then try just launching with text and audio because you can always add the video later Mm, very interesting yeah what's your growth strategy right now in terms of generating leads and new business well for this entire five years i've still been continuously blogging and content marketing. So nowadays I have a very large library of blog posts, YouTube videos, and podcasts that bring in lots of organic traffic. So that is what generates my leads. Now in terms of new business, I'm kind of at a bit of a crossroads because up to this moment, I've grown the business mainly by creating new things, new courses, new ebooks. But right now, I've got uh, 13 or 14 of them, and my customers are a little bit sometimes confused as to which one to choose. So now I'm going to need to adopt a different strategy because I don't want to just keep creating more and more, and then it's going to become overwhelming. Hmm. Is there a typical 
um, sort of period where you generated a lead through your content marketing um, between the, that generation of that lead and up to the time you know they buy a product you know can you walk us through maybe your sales funnel and I don't know how long does that take how many touch points I know it's different for in, in the lots of cases but maybe you've got an average that you can share yeah absolutely well I use email autoresponders quite extensively. So what normally happens is someone comes across one of my videos or blog posts and they want to get more lessons from me, so they sign up for my email list. And then from there, they get a new free lesson once every three or four days. That's delivered through the autoresponder. But with every email I send out, I include the lesson, so a free bit of free content, and then I include a pitch for a related paid product. So if I'm sending out an email on, here are 10 phrases you can use at work, then I'll un- write under it in the same email, I'll have, if you'd like to go deeper, check out my business English course. And as far as time frames, some people buy the first time they hit the site, that's... Um, not super common, but it does happen. But a lot of people buy within the first uh, one to two to three months that they're on my list because they realize that they like my teaching style and they've been hearing about my courses and they finally decide to take the plunge and try one. Mm-hmm. So it can take a little while and uh, it's a bit of a patience game, right? Yeah, for sure. And there are some people who are willing and eager to invest in their own education, and there are a large number of people who just purely want the free lessons. And that's okay, too. But So not everyone will buy, but those who do really enjoy the courses. So it's purely through email from what, from what I'm hearing. Do you do any live sort of approaches or one-on-ones or, you know, I don't know, speaking engagements to to accelerate some of that process or workshops? I've stayed away from one-on-one lessons simply because there's really no way to be able to charge a lot of money for it because just the English teaching field, you see people offering conversation lessons online for 15 to $20 an hour, and I'd rather not do that, so I refer people to other teachers who do provide them. I am getting a little bit into live things. Uh, Lately, I've been doing Facebook Live, so that's one to many. You know, I broadcast live, but anybody who wants can watch it. Uh, Purely not for sales or not for being paid, but just for the interaction value to better have my leads and students build a connection with me. Yeah, no, that's great. I want to ask you, what tools have you used um, in terms of you know, building your site, um, your email list, your, your um, courses? Um, what can you share with, that, with our audience about the tools that you think have worked really well for yourself? Well, the, my site is built on WordPress, and the, the tool that really controls the back end of the site, the courses and the access and the login, I use a plugin called Member Mouse, and I found that to be really versatile in terms of giving people access to, for example, let's say they buy a vocabulary course, they can log in and access the vocabulary course, but not the speaking course because they haven't bought it yet. But then if they do buy it, it's automatically added to their same account. And so it's really been helpful in terms of having people who buy multiple courses. They can access them all in kind of one place, one dashboard, as well as see what else they can unlock inside that dashboard. So that has been phenomenal in terms of keeping the whole sales process really hands off for me. Mm-hmm. 
Um, what about your email and your email, you know, autoresponders and stuff? I use MailChimp, and I have since the beginning, and I make extensive use of the autoresponder feature as well as some triggered autoresponders. So there are certain emails, for example, let's say someone clicked on my vocabulary course from one of my emails, but they didn't buy it. I can have MailChimp trigger to send them another email saying, hey, if you're thinking about buying the vocabulary course, here's a free sample lesson or here's a testimonial from a student who took the course and got great results. And so it's just a little bit of extra tailor-made email that might help someone who's on the fence make a decision. I like that. That's really good. Um, do you have your, your members um, in a forum or you know, on a Facebook group, or how does that work for you? Do you have you structured anything around that? No, I haven't built any community, and it's for two reasons. One is I actually surveyed my customers, and I asked them if this was something they'd be interested in, and there was a very lukewarm to negative response. They basically said, no, we don't really want to speak with each other. We want to interact more with you. And so, you know, English teaching is a bit of a, it's a bit of a unique thing because uh, oftentimes learners don't necessarily want to interact with other people who also have mistakes in their English. They all want to interact with me. So that is the only reason that I have not built a community, but I know that communities are very effective for other niches uh, because the members can connect with each other, help each other, and you know provide a lot of value that way. Yeah, that's interesting. I love the fact that you're surveying your audience. Um, many, many years ago, I listened to, to one uh, great guy in marketing down, down here in Australia, and he says, you know, a lot of businesses are offering their customers what they think the customers want, but he says, you know, why don't you just ask the customer what they want? And it's very simple, but a lot of times we don't. We just assume that this is what they want because it's working over here, therefore it's going to work here. So I love that, you know, you're doing all these surveys. Now, how do you do your surveys, like SurveyMonkey or something like that? I have used SurveyMonkey in the past, but actually sometimes to make it even easier, I just send an email that says, hey, there are these three course options. Which one do you want? Hit reply and let me know, just to lower the friction even further in terms of getting people to respond. Mm, that's good. That's really good. I want to um, shift a little bit and talk about fear of failure. Um, you know, I listen to a lot of entrepreneurs um, on interviews and they're in, in books and things like that, and um, a lot of them say, you know, what, what held them back is, is fear of failure. Um, can you share a key moment of failure in your journey? You know, that might be able to help somebody who might be facing something similar. Maybe they're trying to get ready to launch into their own business, um, but, you know, there's that fear. So maybe just grab a key moment. I know you touched on one, one aspect uh, at the beginning of the interview. Maybe you can share that experience and just walk us through how you, you were fearful and, and, you know, how you've come out of that. Sure. Yeah. In my second month of business, I was very green still. I had a couple hundred email subscribers and I said, okay, I'm going to launch a course. And I created this pronunciation course and I hadn't asked anybody if they wanted it. And then what I did was I just emailed everyone and I said, hey, there's a course and for no reason whatsoever, I'm going to discount it from $30 to $9. And I emailed them about it once, and only three people signed up. It's amazing that anybody signed up, actually, but only three people signed up for a grand total of $27, and uh, 
I was so discouraged by that. What I didn't know at the time is I did everything wrong in that launch. I hadn't surveyed my audience. I hadn't pre-sold. I only told them about the product once. I didn't do any lead up. I didn't do any type of launch sequence or providing samples or educating them about the product. I just, blam, put it out there in my newsletter. And it's no wonder that it was not a runaway success. But I didn't know all that at the time. And so for the next few months, I was really discouraged because I was thinking, man, I've poured so much of my time into this. And am I only going to make back $27? I've already spent $200 on hosting. You know, what am I going to do? And so it was really rough for those first few months. And what kept you going? Honestly, I think the only thing was that the alternative, which was my current situation of getting paid really badly to give these English classes all over the city and spending a lot of time on buses, the alternative was worse. And so I was thinking, I got to make this work because I don't want to keep doing what I'm doing right now. Um, and were you confident that this was going to be the path or were you kind of, did you give yourself a timeline and say, if it, if it works in a year, then, you know, I'll keep going. But if it doesn't, then I'm going to find something else. Yeah, I gave myself about a year. And uh, by the end of that year, I wasn't exactly huge, but I had launched the travel course, I had launched the business course, and gotten a handful of students in each. Like I said, there were maybe 18 in the travel course, and then I think 30 in the business course. So it was moving in the right direction, even if it wasn't big yet. And so at the end of that first year, I said, okay, I think I can grow this further, so I'm going to keep going. Hmm. And what was your biggest breakthrough moment in your business? I think probably the moment that I did realize that I could pre-sell a course because that really benefited me in two ways. One was that it was validation for the product, right, like we talked about. And the other was that it was a super productivity hack because people had already paid and now I was on the hook to deliver the lessons every single day. So I had to sit down and get them done. And that really motivated me a lot more than if I had just tried to motivate myself to create a product because I knew there were people expecting it and so I had to deliver. Yeah. Do you have a, a threshold for when you go and do a pre-launch um, for your, you know, your pre-sales? You say, I need to hit X before I actually you know, launch a product and refund the people? No, I don't actually. I've never, mainly because I'm always really bad at estimating, or at least I was in the beginning, very bad estimating how many people would actually sign up. So I think if only like five had signed up for that first course, I probably would have said, okay, this isn't, this isn't enough. But um, 18 signed up and that was enough. It wasn't a ton of money because I was only charging $30 for the course, but it was enough to get me to think, okay, I'll, I'll create this for these uh, 18 students. Hmm. That's pretty good. Um, tell me what, what, your launch sequence um, would look like in, in um, sort of in a, in a summarized format, just for somebody who's thinking, I've, I've heard of launch sequences, but, you know, I'd really love to hear what, you know, what Shana's launch sequence would look like if she was launching a new product today. Sure. I just launched a new product uh, last month, and a couple of, I don't think that there's a, there's a, 
guaranteed formula for launches, but this is the kind of thing that I use. I usually do a 10 to 14 day launch window. It's a little on the long side, but that's because the people who I'm emailing, they don't check email every day, um, like maybe in some other niches. And so if I make the window too short, then they're going to miss it. So I like a 10 to 14 day launch. And what I usually send out is an an announcement email first, so it just lays out the whole product and that gets the early adopters to buy. Then I'll send a couple of emails of either free samples or detailed descriptions of what's in the course to provide more info as well as people can try it, right? People can try the free sample. And I'll send some related content. So if I'm launching uh, this most recent course was a speaking course, and so I'll launch a lesson with, uh, you know, 10 phrases that native speakers use and P.S. by my speaking course. I'll do a couple of those. And then on the final day um, of the launch, I always do a last chance email. And I don't close my courses, but I do raise the price. So I give like an early bird price. And then once that launch window ends, the course is still available, but now it's at the, the normal price. Or I give a bonus that after the launch is over, you can't get any more. So that's what drives the urgency, even though I keep my courses open year-round. And so what, um, what trigger do you think psychologically works um, better if you've tested it? Is it the bonus or the... Um the price factor? They're about equal, honestly. its I haven't noticed much of a difference, but just the fact that it's a deadline and, I mean, I put a countdown timer on the page. I make it really clear that uh, this is the last opportunity to get this, whether it's the special price or the bonus, and almost a third of sales will come in on that final day. What about um, the free sample? What goes in that one? Um, I'll usually pick one of the lessons from the course, which... I've kind of noticed is in high demand or sometimes I'll just send out lesson one uh, so people can get their feet wet and then if they are curious to continue, they can buy the course and take the rest of the lessons. But for example, I have this speaking course. One of the highest demand lessons is that airport lesson, uh, how to get through the airport in English. So I think that's lesson 20 something in the course, but I make it available as a free sample so people can just see my teaching approach and judge whether or not the material is going to be right for them. Mm. I can imagine if I was going to Brazil or something like that, I'd probably want to buy that course if it was in you know, Portuguese or something. I think that would be really handy. Um, that's very good. I want to pivot a little bit and um, ask you, how would you rank the following five words? Faith, fun, family, finances, and friendships. Ooh, that's a tough one. Um I would say faith in first place. Uh, I'm a Jewish Christian, and so faith is important to really all the other areas, everything I do, the way I run my business, my relationships with family and friends, and so that's foundational to me. Um, my family and friendships are very important to me. I come from a really strong, really loving family, and uh, you know, I hope to continue to to recreate that and, and spread that love, you know, in all of my friendships and business relationships. Um, so I'd say faith, family, friendships, 
between fun and finances, it's it's tough. I think fun edges out finances just because I tend to prefer to uh, spend to do fun things as opposed to give up fun things to hold on to more money. So um, I really enjoy spending what I earn on experiences, especially travel and uh, other things like that. But I'm also quite a hard worker, so... Um, uh, I don't. I don't like living entirely for fun. I also like to be doing something to make an impact in the world. Hmm. Thanks for sharing that. I um. I think that was heartfelt. Um. Share with me a thirty seconds look into a day in your life when you started your business versus a day in your life today. Very interesting question. When I started, my day would be totally fragmented into all these different commitments. So I'd maybe wake up early, go give a private lesson at the English school. Uh, on the bus ride back, maybe I'd write up some notes for my blog. And when I got back, I would maybe type them up and post them on Espresso English. And then I would put in a couple of hours for that client I had in the States doing digital marketing for them. And then in the afternoon, maybe I'd work a bit more on my business. And then at night, I'd go out and give some more English classes. And so it was really I had a lot of commitments and I would go from one thing to another pretty quickly nowadays my my day is uh, completely unstructured because I have total freedom to plan it however I want but what I like to do is I do email first thing in the morning just to clean out my inbox get it out of the way and reply to anybody who needs a reply because I get a lot of emails that come in overnight and I don't want to leave people waiting and then after that I try to work on something that's going to be high impact for my business so whether that is creating a new product or strategizing something about my sales funnel something that's going to require a lot of brain power I also try to do it early in the day I work out in the middle of the day. Uh, I've found it's it's really important for me to take that break, get away from the computer, do something physical, um, and then I can come back for another uh, lighter session of work in the afternoon. That's awesome. That sounds like a you've got a good organized um, structure there, um, getting the important things done early. What time do you normally hit your you know, computer or start start your day? About 7.15, because that's when my husband gets up and leaves for work, and so we're already up, and I I don't enjoy getting up early, but if I'm going to have to get up early uh, to be able to have breakfast with my husband, then I might as well start my work day. Yeah, that's good. Shana, do you, do you invest in mentors? Um, if yes, then why, and who are those for you today? I would say I invest broadly in mentors, by which I mean I read a lot and I listen to a lot of podcasts. So there aren't really specific people, but I've invested a lot of time in uh, reading and listening, and I kind of draw inspiration and ideas from many, many different people. Uh, so that's the way I, I kind of approach mentorship um, as opposed to just one specific role model. I try to get a really broad exposure and I often get ideas from um, multiple sources. Hmm. What would you say are the best two books that are must reads for entrepreneurs based on your experience? Well, I'm not going to call these the best, but two that I would highly recommend. One is called The One Thing. 
I think that's by Gary Keller. And I found that helpful because when you're in the weeds of growing a business, there are often a lot of things on your plate and a lot of potential things you can do. And that book helps you figure out and narrow down to what are what is the one thing that will have the biggest impact or what is the one thing you should be focusing on, which I think is really important when you're an entrepreneur who's in their first few years and is kind of pulled in a lot of different directions because I definitely felt that um, when I was in that stage, still kind of in that stage a little bit, so I should go reread it. And uh, the other one that I really enjoyed is called uh, Running Lean by Ash Moria. And that, you know, it's part of the lean startup uh, world, but I just found it really practical uh, application of these principles with some case studies in there, and it was really thought-provoking. So I enjoyed that one, too. Mm -hmm. That's great. Thanks for sharing that. Um, What's the best way, Shana, for people to connect with you? Well, in order to follow my main business, I would say go ahead and check out EspressoEnglish.net so you can look at my sales pages or sign up for my email list to see my autoresponder in action. And if you'd like to hear the behind the scenes, some of my thoughts and learnings on business and entrepreneurship itself, then I have a podcast at EntrepreneursInMotion.com. Mm, And how's that going for you? It's going well. I just started it, and I'm really kind of talking to people who are not beginners, but not yet advanced. So sometimes I think we have a lot of podcasts geared geared towards people who are just starting or need an idea. And then we have a lot of podcasts who that interview like superstar entrepreneurs who already have everything all figured out. And I want to talk to the people in the middle. Uh, so it's going really well. I've gotten some great feedback, and I'm looking forward to continuing to develop it. Congratulations. That's awesome. Um, before I ask my last question, I just wanted to thank you for everything you're doing in the marketplace and you know all the lives you're impacting, changing people's um, understanding of a, of a uh, of an international language and the way they can live with um, with family and friends. So I think that's that's a great thing. And you know, you pursuing your dreams, I believe, always helps others to do the same as they're watching you, giving them permission to do that. So um, love to thank you for everything that you're doing and more specifically for pouring out your you know, your words of wisdom to inspire our community here. Um, so we want to say we're really grateful. Now for the last question, um, Shana, when all is said and done, what legacy do you want to leave and be remembered for and tell us why? Yeah, it's really simple. Um, I think I would like to leave a legacy as a teacher and educator. And, you know, it's such a common word, you know, to teach or to be a teacher. But I think that Anyone who's had either a really good teacher or a really bad teacher knows what a huge impact a teacher can have on someone's life, career, self-esteem. Um, it, it's it's a really deep thing, and so I want to be someone who helps others to learn, to apply, someone who inspires uh, people that they can go further, they they can learn this language, or they can grow their own business, and uh, that would be a legacy I would be super happy to leave. That's awesome. That's very inspirational. That's a typical um, response from an, a, an a, a teacher who you know who feels that they, they they have that calling, if you like. So um, so that's great. I appreciate that. Well, 
Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for hanging out um, with me and Shana today. I hope you had as much fun as I did, and I hope you got your hopes up that you are good enough to chase your dreams. Remember to head on over to businessjournals.com for all the show notes. Just type in Shana in the search bar, and her show notes will pop up with everything we talked about today. That's businessjournals.com. And uh, in order to reach out to Shana, you can jump onto espressoenglish.net or you know check her out at entrepreneurs in motion podcast and um listen in on everything that um Shana is up to. Shana, thank you so much for being on the Business Journals podcast today and for sharing your story with us. For that we're grateful you are a true business general. Thank you Davis, my pleasure. Awesome. Hey, what's up Business Journals family? Thank you for joining me and for listening to the Business Journals podcast. Connect with me at Davis Mutabwa. That's D A V I S M U T A B WA. Connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, and you can certainly find me at our podcast blog businessjournals.com. And while you're there, remember to access all the show notes, a ton of free resources, killer training, and so much more. Love you guys. Thank you for joining me. Ciao.